everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing back the guy that started it all with the Hockey Think Tank podcast, the one that made it go boom, Robbie Shrimp. And uh, just for a little bit of background here, Shrimpy is from the Syracuse area, uh, played his junior hockey, won a Memorial Cup with London in the OHL, where he was the 12th player, or he is 12th all-time in career points for the Ontario Hockey League. Not a big deal. Uh, he's played over 600 games professional. He was a first round draft pick to the Edmonton Oilers, played over 100 games in the NHL, over 300 in the AHL, and has played in Europe as well. Uh, awesome, awesome hockey guy who's got some pretty cool things going right now. And we're getting right into it, baby. This is this is going to be a, an unreal episode. I mean, Shrempy, you're in Latvia Vex, you're just weird in all and of itself. I'm in my car right now because my kids are napping. I don't want to wake them up. So this is, we're just getting right into it, baby. Vex, how you doing today? I'm good, bro. Just living, man. Just L-I-V-I-N. <laughs> Shrempy, how you doing? Doing well, buddy. Appreciate the intro. Vex, you're a legend. Uh, yeah, it's been good. I'm over in Europe right now. So back to the Back to European roots with my wife and living in Latvia, Riga is the city that we're in. So it's been a nice transit. It was a weird transition coming over the ocean actually during this time. We just moved over here about three weeks ago. So it was weird flying through the, uh, being one of the only airplanes going over the ocean. It was, it was pretty bizarre. Yeah, I can imagine. So you said life's a little bit slower over there, a little bit happier too than being over in the States. Yeah, you know, it was really, I, I find them not too, you know, I don't get into that, you know, clinical rants and that kind of stuff back and forth, but it's almost being back home. It felt very, a lot of tension, a lot of, you know, other factors outside of COVID. And I, over here, it just seems like life is starting to kind of come back and, and things are starting, people are starting to live again and uh, back to, you know, say normal, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit less tense and easier to go about your day to day. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, jumping right into that, I mean, great little segue there for me. You know, we had you on the podcast, I think you were episode six or seven. Um, and it was honestly, it was the one that, that put us on the map because you were so raw and you were so honest in talking about your journey in the game and, uh, just gave people a great window into the ups and downs of, of, a, of a hockey career, especially for you, who's been to so many great places and uh, a lot's changed for you since then. You know, I think at that game, if you or not that game, but that at that time, you know, I, there was a little bit of angst maybe about the game of hockey and you weren't feeling great about it, but you got some awesome things going right now. So talk to us a little bit about what this kind of year and a half has been like in your journey to and we'll talk about, you know, 44 vision hockey, obviously a little bit in this podcast, but just talk about your thoughts from where you were to where you are now. Yeah, you know, I think it was. Time coming out of the game, I had a lot of time to, the over the year and a half, a lot of time to reflect and think about the career. And, and I think uh, for me coming out of the game, it was it was a lot of, um, you know, I had a lot of emotions really about it. And it was, you know, a little bit tough to swallow in the beginning, but a lot of time to reflect and think of, you know, think of all the scenarios, think of all the things that happened. And then also think about the positive things that happened. Really, I never, you know, sometimes you get kind of caught in the, 
the emotion and the thoughts, the recent thoughts in your head. It helped, you know, sometimes it for, you forget about all the great friendships, about the great road trips, about the, you know, the bus trips and just, you know, kind of something on the stupid stuff that was hilarious and you had a blast doing. So kind of counting my blessings a little bit more than being so upset. And I think for me personally, to be honest with you, it took a, a long time to kind of pull back from it and, and assess how I actually acted, you know, and how I treated each moment each year. And it's, uh, for me, it was a lot of stop the blame game kind of thing and start taking responsibility and think of what I could have done different. And it, and it helped me, you know, I had a hand in some of those, some of the stuff that I may have thought went, you know, was against me or kind of didn't go in my favor. I had a hand in it too, and I could have done things differently. So it's more about taking responsibility and, you know, thinking about it that way instead of it's just, I got, I think personally it was the way that I can kind of translate it is I was really mad and I was yelling at what I thought was the game and I was upset with the game. And I think what, in actuality, I was, it was like screaming at the mirror. I was really yelling at myself. So I was kind of assessing that and realizing that, that I wasn't, I had a lot to work on myself and think about what I could have done differently instead of just screaming at the game. It just kind of think of it at a different angle, you know? So once I saw it in that light, it really helped me, you know, my wife helped me realize, especially that I'm not, I don't, I'm not mad at hockey. I just, some of the scenarios have made me upset. I don't, I love the game. The game's in my blood and it's always going to be there. And I have so much passion for it. Um, and I love the game. It's such a great game. So I think I was just a, coming out of retirement. I was a little bit worked up and, and kind of some stuff was still raw. So, you know, probably it would have been wiser for me to step away for a little bit before doing, you know, some podcasts and let me assess my emotions and maybe digest it a little better instead of, you know, kind of being, I think the way I assessed it was, I was kind of backed in the corner. I was a little bit competitive, you know, and, that's because I can go backwards sometimes, but I, I enjoyed the journey. It was such a good time, man. We, I met so many good people and so many good trips, so many good memories. Um, uh, that's why I kind of getting back into it now. I, I think it's, you know, I got freshened up and I feel energized and I feel passionate about the game again in this aspect and giving back is, is something I get now what I'm kind of, I feel in this stage of my life, I'm, I'm chasing gratitude. So I feel gratified when I do a lesson or I teach something through the video or even teach something through a zoom class and a stick hand class, watching kids grasp it and seeing them get better at something. I have gratitude and that's a feeling I can't say that I ever had until, you know, just recently. And I started to learn to understand that that's something when you chase gratitude, you're going to, you're always going to be happy. And it's, it's really that kind of simple to me. And, uh, you know, I'm just really starting to be myself, I think, and, and stop, like I said, I had to put pause on that. Like the game had something out for me. It's there, you know, that fault. It, no, I had a hand in it. So it's, it's really coming out of that and just kind of changing my tune a little bit and, and appreciating what, what it gave me. I love that, man. And that's, I mean, that's such a profound lesson to learn. I think we're all, we all struggle with that. We all struggle to control the things that we can control and, and accept responsibility for the good and the bad in our lives. You know, sometimes with the good stuff, we don't want to take credit because we want to be humble. That's what our sport's all about. Um, but you know, sometimes confidence can come from being able to do that. And then in the tough times it is, it's easy to point fingers and all that kind of stuff. And I think all of us can be guilty of that for sure. But I'm, I'm interested how you got to this point. Um, because that, <laughs> 
just hearing you talk right now, and if you haven't listened to the first episode we have with Shrempy, I would go listen to it because it will put into perspective everything that he just said, and it will make what he just said so much more powerful um, because there were a lot of ups and downs in, in your journey specifically for sure. But like, what were some things that you maybe have done over the last year and a half? I mean, was it certain like different people maybe that you were starting to listen to? Uh, was it therapy? Like, what were some things that you did to help switch your mind? set from where you were, which was in a pretty tough spot to where you are right now, where you're chasing this gratitude and you feel like you're, you're on top of the world almost. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was a lot of, uh, a lot of self-work and just in scenarios going forward, stop looking back. Just a lot of looking back for, I spent a lot of time with that, worrying about the th things that were backwards and it's taking the things that I found the fault points in the scenarios in the past and I started treating people a different way and seeing things a different way and I also understood that I think for me it was about for me it was caring about myself and respecting myself and understanding I'm a good person and there's you know I can still do good and I can go forward I can go forward and build going forward the scenarios that I didn't like in the past it's, it's there's nothing I can do it's about treating people with respect going forward treating people um, you know, seeing myself in a different light, it doesn't have to be, I think it's important to be human first and athlete second. I think, I think that's really important. And what I think people say it all the time, always treat people with respect and always, you know, have the mindset that you never know who's watching on that. I don't say you never know who's watching. It's not an intimidation thing, but I think in every scenario, uh, scenario, whoever you're talking to, whoever you're around to have a good intention and have have a good intention and have no expectation. So I think that's when you have that attitude and good intention, no expectation back for your good intention. It just helps you really make the right decision and be, like I said, gratified by whatever scenario is, is present. I mean, that's, that's a little, I think that helped me a lot, but definitely, uh, you know, my wife's been a huge help for me and helping me be proud of what I did. Because you know, it's a lot of time I felt really almost embarrassed or ashamed, like of what the career was, and you know, it was it wasn't what it kind of was touted to. So for a long time I had to detach from that and just accept that it was actually a really cool thing to go from Fulton, New York, and play in the NHL. Like that's something I should be very proud of, instead of almost carrying a shame around with me for a long time and like kind of I felt like I failed. So that that was a really big burden for me for a long time, but. Like I said, now it's like going forward, that's all happened in the past. And it's something now that I can take a different view of it. I'm proud of that. And I'm going to take that forward and take the positives out of that and hand it off to the next people if I can. Whoever's going to benefit from, you know, the skill tips or the, you know, the video work or whatever it may be in whatever scenario. However, I can help somebody. It makes me gratified. So that's kind of a right now the scenario I see it in and what helped me change just a different perspective a little bit. I mean, Tolf and I, we talk about perspective all the time, and that's so awesome, Shrimpy, and I, I appreciate you opening up and saying those things because I know it's not easy. I obviously was not the same player as you or as highly you know, sought after, and neither was Tolf, but like, I think no matter what sport you are, if you make it to those elite levels past D3 or above, like, you're always going to like be like, oh, whenever you finish playing whatever sport it is, you might be sad. Oh, I didn't make it here or like, Oh, I could have done this or I should have done this. I think people need to look back when they're done and while they're in it. And like you just said, like you came from 
wherever in New York and how many guys next to you growing up didn't even play midget major AAA or or in the OHL and do as well as you did there, obviously, or get drafted or play in the NHL or play professionally and make as much money as you did or see all the places in the world. So changing your perspective, whether you know, you're know you Rob Shrimp and you played as many games in the NHL as you did or you're Tove or you're me or you're somebody who got finished after juniors, like change your perspective and be grateful and look back at, wow, like look what I was able to accomplish. I know what I had to put in. It doesn't matter where you finished. If you can do that, you start to become a happier person rather than dwelling on the negative. Like you had to work hard to get to wherever you got to. You should be proud of that, you know, and I think that's so, so important. And it's really cool. And it almost sounds like now you're, you're uh, giving more so that you can be more. Oh my God! There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's true though, man. Absolutely. That's what you're with though. Like that's what that you're doing. Oh, hits home, buddy. That hits home. It's true, and I think it's, I think it goes into, you know, with the thing with hockey as well, or any sport. But since we play hockey, we're talking about hockey. But it's no different. Uh, I feel, um, in the sense of it's almost a relationship. And as much as you get, you know, if you put. 25% into the relationship and you expect a thousand percent back. I think it's, it's unrealistic and it's, it's not, it's not fair for yourself. If you, when you're in the moment, you think you're giving it all, but I, I think it's that part of it is how much you, how much love you want to put in. If you say it's with a partner wife, if I put in, you know, a quarter of my heart, you can't, it's not fair to expect it, you know, a massive mountain back. So um, I think in that part of it too, I could have been better and dug in and gave more, more to the game. And I just I think it's just don't have expectations. Be grateful. I think when you have expectations, you can be you can be let down. But if you're grateful, it's just every moment you can be more present. So expectations really I think I would for advice from it, it's like circling back out of it. I would say like, you know, don't have higher expectations than what you're putting in and then be disappointed with the result. I think it's not it doesn't make any sense. Uh, I did it. <laughs> so I can like live through it and be like, don't do that. Um but I think it's uh, maybe that's a helpful tip and just, you know, really doesn't just come by lottery chance. You know, it's, it takes a lot of effort. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, let's get into this because you've transitioned to do, you know, you started this new company, 44 vision hockey, and um, you're going to teach a lot of people about the game of hockey through your you know, through your knowledge and the people that you've brought on board, which is freaking like you, you look at the roster of the people that you got involved with this. It's like, holy crap, man. Um, but I, I think something kind of cool to do. And, and I've said this before and Vex and I have talked about this. Like I learned so much from just talking hockey with you. And, uh, I think it would be a great, almost little like promotion for what you're doing with 44 vision hockey, just to shoot the breeze and talk hockey with you. So people can understand where you're coming from and how much knowledge you have for the game. And, you know, a lot of what you're doing right now, I'm sure is going to be teaching kids about the game and hockey sense, how to read plays and, and all that kind of stuff. So I guess the first question I have for you you know, when it comes to, to hockey sense, that's like the biggest thing, right? Is like teaching hockey sense. Can you teach hockey sense? If you can teach hockey sense, how do you do it? And what are things that you can do? So for a company that's primary responsibility is going to be teaching kids how to play the game. How would you advise coaches to go about teaching kids, quote unquote, hockey sense or hockey IQ? I think it's about teaching the tangibles. Um, if you're a player, 
under like if you're an experienced player or like I'm saying an ex-player now coaching, like you understand those tangibles of what's effective and what's a pain point on a defender, uh, what's a play that really has a lot of what's from what you've seen and experienced, what makes it tough on the goaltenders, and you're kind of giving these data points to the players. And then when you watch them, you know, say, I don't know what age we're talking to, but like say we're talking to a 12 or 13-year-old and you're starting to see their game scenarios and, and you're watching what they're doing, the decisions they're making, you can kind of steer the ship and saying, hey, when you did this, here's what was available, right? So these, you see, hockey sense is that if they can grab, if they don't know the data points and where to attack and like how to attack and what's, what makes a defender do what or, you know, what makes the goalie vulnerable, if they don't know that, if they haven't been taught that, you can't say that they don't have any hockey sense. <clears throat> They've only been essentially guided or coached and they're playing off of that, right? So if this player has never heard this before, like, hey, attack the triangle on the defenseman. Like, here, when you make this move, here's what his feet do. If he has never been taught that before, it's not fair to say that he doesn't have any hockey sense. I think he just needs to be given some decent tips or some further tips. In my experience, that's how I see it. And it's why I got the company going is I think the high experience guys like yourself, like Jeff, we all play pro. There's certain things that we could pass to these 12, 13, 14-year-old kids that helps – it's like a higher level thought, but a 13 year old can do it. You know, fortunate enough for me, I was taught that at that young age. So I, I got to a high level in the sense of at a young age, because I really got the uh, concept of offense very quick. I got the concept of, of the net. When I understood the net, it made it, it I use this example. Uh, and I kind of, I go back to a patch Adams when, the, when he's in, you know, the mental health institution and there's that doctor and he keeps screaming at the guy, how many fingers do you see? How many fingers do you see? And finally, Patch Adams gets it, and he looks. You look past the problem, you see eight. I find that when you see the net in that aspect, when you look past the problem, which a problem is the defender, when you're looking at the net, you find the solution. And these problems coming at you turn into like they're not roadblocks anymore. They're now just like kind of little nuances, and you get around it. You find a way to get to your objective. So for me, like understanding the net with that perspective it changes the concept of how you see the offensive zone and you changes the idea of like how you see problems, defender sticks, guy coming at you. If you understand the net, you understand certain angles. You understand that you're in control. This guy running out of you is now you're like, Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> like you're going away from the net. I gotcha. So I think hockey sense can be taught in a certain way in the offensive zone. In my opinion, I, I wasn't an expert in the D zone. I think, you know, it's well, it's well documented. I tried my hardest, but it never was like, you know what I mean? Like the shutdown guy just had like a little bit of ADD and I always want to get the puck. Like that was my problem. But in the offensive zone, I had more, more control and I had more, I had a better concept of it. You know, a lot of times on the other side, that's why I really wanted to start this platform as well. Cause I knew my weak points and I thought, you know, I can teach offense and I can teach that kind of thing, but I need someone to help me my blind spots. And I, I know I reached out to Danny Savret and Freddie Meyer and just thought about those guys defensively, Glenn Metropolitan, and then have those guys kind of teach in that zone. And those guys were really good in that zone. And I think it's, it's another concept or the way that those guys see the defensive zone is so important, but I, I, I really never had, I can't pretend like I know that zone that well. I, I really had a, when I played, I always had a problem of not, not jumping at the puck. I just couldn't, it was like a dog on a ball, you know, but in the ozone, sorry, I got rambling there back to the story. It's, it's really, 
for me, it's all about net and it's understanding the net and what's effective at the net. It, it helps you. You have to be able to do quick checkoffs and you have to be able to do quick math, in, in my opinion. And if you can do quick math and, and check off the areas that are most effective to the net and you know that the play is going to be deadly on the net, it, it puts you in a little category of like high percentage offensive output. And that's how I saw the offensive zone. So it's really, I don't know if that adds up to you guys or if I can dive deeper into it, but it makes a, it makes the ozone a little less guesswork and a little more predictability. I know what you're saying. The way that you said that, um, it made me think of like just to parallel it for people too, because you know, Toast's question is, can you teach hockey sense? And what you said, I think, is true. Like if a kid's only been taught you know, whatever he's been taught. Maybe let's just say he doesn't have a, a coach that knows the, those nuances and the finer points and things like that. Like it is definitely harder for him to see all areas of the game because his brain hasn't opened up to ask questions to himself in a higher level. But that's just because he hasn't been taught that. And I think about that from a gym standpoint, like working out Mike Boyle, who I think is like one of the best strength coaches ever until I read his book, like eight years ago or whatever it was. I looked at the gym in this like one way. And as soon as I read his book, it made me question everything and look at everything completely different. So I don't think it was a problem where I didn't have the ability to, to see it in a higher level, but no one had opened my eyes yet. And then as soon as they were open, I saw everything differently. And I'm guessing that's kind of what you're saying with like coaches ability to, to teach players things. And then all of a sudden, a lot of them, I think, will get a much better grasp of how to think the game better. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it's important, uh, and also to have it's not a you know for me it's not a theory, so to speak. It's it's not it's not just something I think is possible. I, I lived it and I executed it and I watch hockey and I and I watch the film and I can then translate that now to a screen of how to get there and how to do it and how to change the face, change the angle, change the face of the net. Here's your pain points. Here's your data points to collect. Like, here's how you could have done that. So it's, it's really watching back and keep watching the game. It's and watching what's, what's relevant and what's now it still applies. <laughs> so it's, it's really not a theory. I can tell you how to get there and show you how to get there and then show you what, what the look is at the end of it kind of thing. That's what's important is, you know, I think the game's going towards analytics now. And it's great. It really categorizes the game and it really shows you where the kind of um, the hot spots are, so to speak. What's important is after that is then the what now. And once you get to that area, once you are in that zone, how to be effective and how to, you know, execute at a high rate. I think, uh, you know, that's what's really important with the analytics and transferring to now what goes into the player and how does the player maximize that? Um, and, you know, I think that's coming from experience, coming from uh, players that have done it before and been in that actual scenario. It's, I think it has so much value. I think you guys can relate to that. It's it's tough to, you know, I can't go and teach someone tennis lessons. <laughs> I've played, you know, five hours of tennis over the last two years. But if, you know, being able to go in the hockey realm and just coming off a career or whatever, having that experience, you kind of, you've been in that moment. You know exactly what a stick eight inches away from the puck feels like and how to maybe hit the brakes or speed up or 
open your hands to to sell the guy like you're gonna do something and, and get the stick to move like these little these little details are so fine and they go such a long way that I think it's it's really important to be able to show that and help the players see the play you know not just tell them you got to be able to show them too in my, in my opinion if I put my player's hat on and the guy's trying to tell me what to do I need to see him do it almost as a trust thing and I can and I can believe in them you know does that make sense yeah, that makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that you were talking about earlier that I, I think is really interesting is you talk about the net and and almost teaching hockey sense from the eyes of the net. So when we watch video, typically we're watching it from the side and that's how we teach and all this kind of stuff. But like a player is not playing looking from the side. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of the conversations we had, and there's actually an, uh, an NHL assistant coach that I was talking to specifically when we were talking about it before we were talking about the power play, but it sounds like you do this five on five. Like you think it's the best way to teach is looking from the net out, not from the side. Um, and in the NHL coach, that's what they do when they pre-scout the opponent opponent's uh, power play as well as they watch it from that angle coming from the net out to the blue line. Um, so talk to us a little bit about why you think that's so important and talk to us a little bit about just like, you know, seeing the game from the net out in that aspect. Yeah, I think it just, it it exposes angles and exposes, it kind of shows you when you're doing something effective and when you're doing something just to kind of do it. Does that make sense? You know, it's kind of like, well, look what kind of, no, I don't want to, I can't have like an exact example, but you see when you kind of, when you're watching from the net out, you see when the player comes out of, out of vision of the net and he becomes a lower percentage of a threat or almost no threat at all. So it's almost like you start to question, like, why did you take yourself down there or what forced you to go down there? Because now you're out of threat to the net. If there, if there's a next place, so hockey IQ is like, okay, what, what were you thinking? And if, if the player says back to, like, I, I saw a, a guy coming late and I wanted, to, I wanted to draw that defenseman down and out of the play and then hit the middle, that's hockey sense. He's now planning something, right? But if you ask him, why, why did you skate yourself in the corner when you had, you know, if you show on the video and you show an option of, like, exposing the middle or getting a better position and they just say, I don't know, you got to start walking them backwards and expressing, hey, why, like, Look what you had here. Do you see that? And if they don't see it, then you got to demonstrate it. And if they don't, then then you might get to a point of yes, like this player doesn't have high hockey IQ. We need to put him in positions that are maybe more shine a light better on him and don't expose the team so much. Does that make sense? Yeah. But like to come out of it right away and just give them, well, this guy doesn't know hockey sense can't be taught or he doesn't have any hockey IQ. I'm not. I don't think that's fair. I think you need to walk it backwards first. And then there might be points to interject and also put your knowledge in there and put your experience in there. And like I said, if you're at point two and three or four and, and they're not catching on, then like I said, maybe, maybe there's a chance then you can say, okay, he's not, you know, he's not brilliant on the ice, but is that fair? I mean, that's how I, I yeah. think of it. And then when, when you're seeing it from the eyes of the net, you start to see what players come into the view of the net of a threat. And they're attacking it and they're always poking at it and they want to get to it. And then there's other things that you see from the net. It's, it kind of cuts out the stuff that becomes useless. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I feel like a lot of what you're talking about and, and a lot of what I see hockey senses is just having the ability to solve problems. You know, like that's all when you talk about decision making, it, it's all about solving problems and finding ways, whether it's one on one thing and manipulating a defender to be able to do something that you want to do and you want to them to think you're doing something else, whether it's a, you know, a reading, a pattern kind of thing, solving problems about where other people are on the ice and manipulating space and all that kind of stuff. And, and I've been really interested in, and some other guys like Kaner's really good at that. Adam Nichols is really good at like talking about those kinds of things. And like, when you talk about solving problems, Shrempy, it was really interesting hearing you talk about taking it back. So like asking questions, and, and kind of like reverse engineering what the play was so you can better understand what the player is doing and what their thought process is going, going forward. Um, talk to us a little bit about that in, in how you help kids to solve problems on the ice. Cause I think that could be a really good teaching technique. Yeah. I think, you know, walking it backwards, finding the pain points and at each stop we're learning cause it didn't succeed. If, if, I wouldn't be a kind of coach that if a player comes down, pulls something off successful. I, to be honest with you, I want him to feel good about that and keep that play successful. So if it didn't work, then we're going to go over it, right? Or if there was op- – not if it didn't work, but if there's opportunity and you're watching – if I'm watching through my eyes and I see a chance where they could have changed – you know, really changed something up, you're, you're starting to – you're really winding it back all the way to like what was your plan? And that's really where it starts. So when you start understanding the offensive zone – and on understanding, okay, so there's a lot of variables, right? Like there's inside, you know, right inside the blue line turnovers. There's trying to force the puck through the middle. Like you have to have those thoughts too of like what's right for the team and what's what's risk and reward, right? Like what am I risking and what's the reward? So that's a way to carry a player has to carry as well. But like having a game plan. Right when you get the puck, I think, for my opinion, Toph, you should always have a game plan with the puck and understand the dynamics of the rink. For me, there's two things – not for me. It's, it's, it's actually a fact that is the two things that don't change are where they put the nets and the boards, right? So those – that's simplistic, but it's the fact. They're always there, and there's only certain things that are threatening to the net. So understanding which ones are more effective and where you can have risk and reward payoff – that categorizes sections of the ice. So you already know these sections of the ice and you get the puck and you should already have a plan. And that's, that's somewhere where you, when I'm saying walking it backwards, it's like, here, you're in this part of the zone. Why, like, what were you thinking? Like, did you think about attacking the net? Did you think about, did you look at the defenseman stick and how it's on the outside of the ice and not covering the inside of the ice? You see how his boots are turned? Like you could have beat him inside, no problem. It's these little fine details that really stick out. And then it's about players' mindset. What were you thinking? Like, did you have a plan? What did you want out of this play? And that's where you start to get the back and forth and dialogue, and you can start to understand where they're coming from. And then maybe sometimes it's a little bit of too much weight of, like, they feel so much pressure to not turn it over. I'm not the coach. I'm a, you know, with our platform, we're a third party. So I'm just literally trying to help that player see these zones, execute, and be better in their game. But if I'm coaching and that and I'm talking to that kid and that kid's like, I, you know, has a lot of pressure on him, doesn't want to turn it over for me as his coach. She feels I would like start to pump his tires with confidence. Right. Like, buddy, it's not that big a deal. Like, you know, make a play and let him have a few turnovers. Who cares? 
tell the team, like, hey, Tof's going out tonight, boys, and I want Tof to burn a defenseman tonight. You know, if we're talking youth hockey, like, who cares? Like, tell the boys in the room and the rest of the team, Tof's going out tonight to dangle. You guys are going to cover his back? And then you turn into, like, a team camaraderie thing. And then it's like Tof comes out of this thing, like, who knows if you ever want to burn it. I know you. You probably – you definitely would, Tof, because you're nasty. But you know what I'm trying to say <laughs> The youth hockey kid comes out of that feeling a couple things, more confident, like his teammates are behind him and he just grew about a foot. And I think, I mean, I don't know if that's, I'm not in the youth game, so to speak, like, you know, behind the bench stuff, but that's how I would assess these things. And that's how I I would help grow that player individually as a coach behind the bench. But like I said, for me now on this platform, a third party, I'm just trying to really help him see the ice in that aspect. And then he goes back into his system and, you know, that's then he's better for that coach, more more prepared, has more data. Uh, that's how I see it. Well, you've talked about data a couple of times as you've been talking about some of the things that you've been doing. And and just so the, the listeners know, you know, like Shrempy's platform here, 44 Vision Hockey. Um, maybe maybe I'll let you explain it a little bit. Um, Would you give like a maybe 30 seconds to a minute elevator pitch of what it is and, and what you're hoping to do in the hockey world? And then I have a question for you. <laughs> uh, so we have a team of coaches, 32 of us. Uh, you know, we have women's side and the men's side. And the idea is uh, we have our coaches at a high level go into players game scenarios and they start game, they start uh, coaching from that film and inserting their high level knowledge and ex- uh, experience into these situations of here's what you could have looked for. Here's what you missed. Here's what you did. And they have that back and forth in some sense of like, what are you thinking? Like, you know, like I said, have that dialogue and inserting that high level um, knowledge and experience. So what, what you're doing is kind of fast forward and growth. You give them a library, you let them study these scenarios. So it's like, if you see that it's not like you just watch the film and you say, Oh, you had a two on one and you missed, I'm going to break it down and talk about the triangle, talk about how far the goal is in or out, when you should shoot, what to look for. It's giving them all the data points from a high level for them to really study and have used in their game scenario. It's not like watch what I did when I played pro. Like that's, that's great. That player needs to know what he did and how he can execute. So I think it's a just it's an advancement of of their decision making and it's helping them. We're passing this knowledge on faster than what it would be if we were there for, let's say, private lessons or doing a one week camp with them. This is something a little more that sticks with them and they can revert back to and study. And it's also something that what it, what we try to do is not have a place a community of players that are stuck with the resources that are in that community. Now we have a, a wealth of knowledge and experience to bring anywhere in the world and insert that. So it's, it's on the men's and the women's side. Uh, I, you know, eight Olympic women on our team. We've got Amanda Pelkey, Rebecca Johnson, Brianna Decker. There's some really great women on our team. And I'm excited about that part of the game to help grow and help build a sustainable, great league. And that's, that's what, you know, the mission is to help them have it. So it's almost like they have NHL, like two tiered system. Now I won't say eight leagues. It's like two leagues. You have NHL and AHL. So you have a feeder into the show. And then my mission is, is to help them build that. And I think what it was, in my opinion, was we circle back the knowledge and experience back in the game that I don't think it's, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm not Einstein, but I, I saw that as a point of inserting that would be unbelievable. It's such a wealth of knowledge. These girls are so good at hockey like so good at hockey, but I, I didn't see it like the men's side. The men, a lot of guys are circling back and like myself, I'm back in the game. I can't get rid of, you know, can't get rid of hockey. I love it so much. 
the women usually aren't circling back in that degree. I mean, you see down in Tampa, Florida, there's Vinny LeCavier is coaching. I, I'm not sure what level, but I think it's squared hockey. You have like guys like that. You have all over the place men that had long careers circling back in the game. I, I didn't find that with the women. And I wanted to create an opportunity for these for these women to, to grow the game and also be recognized for their expertise. They are experts at the game and they're they're nasty at the game. And I want them to be recognized for that and, and help build the future. So sorry about the minute and a half rule. I went over <laughs> but I'm passionate about this. And you can see, you know, when I got done playing, I thought I would I really was like, I'm done hockey, but I got, it just took me some time to find my passion again and see which way I wanted to get involved with it and have it be a little bit more on my time or not on my time, but on my, on my page, so to speak and how I wanted to do it. Um, this fits perfectly. I, I think it's, I'm so passionate about it. And I'm excited. And like I said, it's more about the gratitude of giving back to the game and helping it grow. And it's been really uh, humbling and it's been, it's, start a fire back in me for hockey again, which I'm excited about. Couldn't tell. <laughs> no, man. I, this is I, what my I, wife used to get at the house. She was probably like, go do something in hockey. I don't want to hear about bar down and sauce anymore. <laughs> so I got, I kind of got punted out of the conversation. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, uh, I, it's, it's interesting. Number one, talking about women's hockey, cause Jeff will tease it a little bit here. We got some pretty big things coming when it comes to the women's game for this podcast, uh, after this podcast here with, uh, with Shrempy. Um, but going back to the, the question I had before you talked about data points and, you know, when you talked about just that specific example with the two on one, you talked about three or four different things that you could be looking at. I'm assuming that's what you mean by data points. So, just to let you explain what that means instead of me interpreting it, what do you mean by data points? And maybe give us an example of what you're talking about. Uh, maybe I'll throw out three on two. So you're the puck carrier on a three on two. Maybe what are some data points that you are going to be teaching kids to look at um, as they kind of go through their progressions of, and sequences? Simple, simple points right off the hop would be stick and boots on the, the, as a puck carrier. And it's no different as the player that wants the puck. You're trying to find a two-on-one on that scenario. In my opinion, I see is always attacking, making a two-on-one, supporting. How do you make that two-on-one as the person without the puck? Person with the puck, where's my time and space? Where's the stick? Where's the boots? What are they doing? And, and the most important thing is what's going on at the net? Like what, what does the puck see? As I'm a puck carrier, what does the net see right now? Am I a threat? Can I get to be a threat? There's one and two. After that, then you start thinking pass or thinking attack two on one. The first thing first is I think a, a lot of players pull up and then wait for the opportunity to present itself instead of being the enforce, being the enforcer of the play and being like, no, I'm going to get this done. We got more numbers than them. Let's attack. And the first thing is you attack the net. When you attack the net, everybody gets real nervous. And the first thing, the first person that gets nervous is the goalie. <laughs> He's like, Oh man, this guy's going to come at it. Like, his feet come out, he starts to come out of the net, his feet get stuffed, they get, they get uh, frozen, not stuffed, sorry. His feet get frozen. Once you freeze the goalie, now you're like thinking about rounding the goalie, like, like you're going, uh, you know, a line around the goalie or whatever you want to call it, sphere around the goalie. You got him out, you froze him, and now you're going, to, like you're just going around the net, you're constantly changing the face of the net. And that's what I say about the faces of the net. First thing, threaten the goalie, freeze his feet, and now you can just move two feet over and there's a whole different view of the net. And that doesn't take like saucing it over a stick back door to a guy driving the net. That's a high risk 
not a very it's a it's a high risk yeah high reward but like percentage is not that great then you talk about trying to stuff it in the middle there's a defenseman that can first stop the puck then there's another defenseman that come over and poke it away i think the high, in my opinion the highest percentage is to attack first as the puck carrier and then find your stuff but a lot of it is like slow up wait for my two-on-one try to feather it through there's almost like these set few plays that players use in my opinion i'm gonna the other thing is if like this D-man stays off me and just protects me, I'm going to walk into a slap shot. I'm going like, to walk into a slap shot from the faceoff dot. If the goalie saves it, then ice your shoulder down after. Like that's my mentality is I'm going to rip it as hard as I can from as close as I can. And that's still an effective play at the end of the day. So, uh, sorry, long story long again, but, you know, really in the beginning of it is from the start of it is when I get the puck, can I be a threat first? So what is, so what do you mean by that? So what do you mean by, you know, you talk about threatening the middle, threatening the goalie, um, threatening space, time and space, whatever it may be. Like what, what define that for us? I would, I'd come in and it, it depends on the scenario, right? If I had some clips in front of me, I could definitely walk them through, but it's like coming in and you're rounding into, you know, let's say you're down the face off dot line. I'm, I pick up the puck on the boards, like the blue line. I come in and I'm going to start attacking that defenseman and try to pick holes in him so I can get lateral. So I'm now attacking him. And I, at the same time, I know if you practice enough, you start working. Let's say the drill, you come down the wall or come down the dot line, you get lateral, you just go across the grain and you start picking the net apart. No one's on the ice. It's just you working your game. Now we get into a game. And most of the time we just pick up the puck in that spot and then we skate down in the corner, wait, we're almost down in the corner. And then we try to like flip one in the middle or throw it in net. That hard 90 degree turn is like attacking the D and you're attacking the net now. And I'm not saying it has to be at the dot line, but I'm just using the dot as a spot reference on the ice because for me, that's what I use out of my peripheral was spots on the ice. When I see something, I saw that spot. I knew I could like, this is what the net was doing from that spot. So anyways, you're attacking the, the inside ice first right and then you're bringing the game to him almost instead of staying outside and just flopping them in there if that makes any sense if that answers your question and all the while looking for the cues all over the ice which are sticks boots where's the dot where's you know where's the goalie's feet so like as you're you're internalizing this but while you're trying to attack whereas a lot of kids they are thinking about all that stuff without attacking and that's why they skate themselves into the corner i coach 16 year olds i see it all the time two on one on two they never try to attack the net they slow up they wait they want to slow it down and they never become a threat which then is easy for the d-man because he just stays in between the two forwards I, i know exactly what you're saying there i think a big thing for kids to understand too or not just kids but players is their range the range on their on their reach in their hands like for me i've been teaching this lately it's like imagine you're doing a shoulder uh front shoulder raise okay get your hands to like your waistline and then start taking your stick like a kayak that is your range if you had a stick in your hand you'd start to understand so your hands can go from this side and they go all the way to the other side so that's that's your range and that's where you should be able to move the puck and that range is usually like five five feet six feet maybe that's a lot of space to be able to move the puck back. And like you start understanding your body goes one way, your stick goes the other. When you have your hands tight into your body, let's say you're coming in on a two on, if I'm coming down on a three on two toe, I'm hanging the puck out. If I'm on the right side, I'm hanging the puck out behind me and I'm dangling it four feet off my body. 
at any time when I want to stop or not stop, but like fake and go to the middle, that puck is out of his reach for a poke check. And it's also a fight. Think about it as a lefty, you're a lefty. If you go down that right side, have it hanging off your hip and then push to the middle, he's now, you're protected by puck protection. Your hands are out in front of you and he's reaching it. So all he can do is like hook or slash, you got him. Where if you keep it in front of you and tight to your body, it's much more predictable. And D are usually lined off your chest. They're watching your chest. So if you're kind of constantly moving that and dangling in your range, it just, it percept like the, what's the word? Deception. It gets you all over the place. One of the best persons I've ever, players I've ever seen, I was Corey Perry. His reach was so long and he knew how to use his, his range. And the puck moving from his forehand to his backhand or a toe drag moved like eight feet. And then it's like, how did he get by the guy? You know, not everybody 6'3 would reach like that. But understanding your range as a player, it gives you a lot more escape space. So you're not stuck with that problem in front of you. And then when you have that idea of your almost a circle around you, and then you have the understanding of the net, you have a lot of room to escape and you have a lot of options to attack. That's a better feeling than... Oh crap, there's a defenseman. I don't know what to do. Oh, what, what do I do? I'm coming down a defenseman. I'm like, okay, you better, yeah, you better watch your feet. You better watch your stick, buddy. I'll burn you. I'll burn. Like, that's, I know it sounds a little, but you have to have that confidence and you have to have that, like, you got to know the data points. Like, what's the pain point of this defenseman? I'm going to expose it instead of what should I do with the puck here? It's a much different mentality. That makes sense? Yeah, it's almost like having the mentality of, like, you're going to be the initiator. And it's not always just about like letting the defenseman get you to go where the defenseman wants you to go. It's I'm going to do something here to manipulate the defenseman and the play in my, in my way. And, and with that, you get time and space and use that. We use deception and doing that, all that kind of stuff. And uh, just having that attack initiate mentality can open so many things up, just almost like what you said with the goalie. Like when you initiate and you threaten, it makes the other team have to react to what you're doing. And with that, now you can make a better play based upon where you're trying. You're playing. It's like playing chess. Like you say that all the time, Vex, it's playing chess, not checkers. And uh, just that attacking, initiating, um, forcing the other team to have to react to what you're doing. Is that fair, a fair assessment of what you're saying? Absolutely. I think you, you find that. And if, okay, so you put your, uh, you put your defensive hat on. How nice is it when a guy just lays around uh, like he's not attacking you and he's just going to skate himself in the corner kind of thing. You're like, Oof, thank you. <laughs> 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 like he comes and he starts getting lateral and you're like hooking and taking penalties or you're out of position. And it's, you just kind of put the other hat on for a minute. And what, it, what, what knocks, like, what takes me off? Like, what, not takes me off, but, like, what throws me off defensively? Like, stutter steps, jukes, guys, shimmies, attacking my feet in triangle. It's, it's so tough because, like, that space between your feet and your hands, it's so tricky because you want to pull back your stick and you also want to use your feet at the same time. And the next thing you know, the puck's past you, and so is the player. And you're like, oh, you know what I'm talking about. You play, and that's why, you know, a guy like Datsuk was so nasty. He always played one-on-one, though. At practice, he'd play around. You see him always had that phone booth square uh, confidence, and he had the puck control. Like, a, he was a magician, but constantly working that one-on-one stuff in tight, I think there's so much value in that. On ice, one-on-one, after practice, me and you, you better not let me go through your five-hole kind of thing. And it also gets competitive. You know, you 
go through a guy's stick, he gets sick of it, you, you know, he slashes. I don't know. Like I, I always found that you always want to be competitive at some point. Yeah. Well, I've, I've talked about my Russian coach on here a lot. Um, Stan, well, you've, you know, Stan a little bit anyway, um, from when we played you guys in nationals, no big deal. Uh, anyway, what's that? What was the score of that game? Uh, it was a lot yeah. to a little, but anyway, uh, oh, no. so you guys didn't have any recruiting rules out there. This is, this wedding is horseshit. But we would literally play keep away like so much, just one-on-one keep away or one-on-two keep away or two-on-two keep away just in small areas. And it's, it's true. And if you think about it from a defensive standpoint, like when you're teaching offense, it's very easy. And I actually just did a, a webinar on my uh, content subscription site on winning one-on-ones. And we talk about from an offensive standpoint, like how easy is it to defend somebody that goes in a straight line? It's pretty easy. How easy is it to defend somebody that's going the same speed the whole time? How, you know, the, the best players from a one-on-one standpoint, number one, they play with their head up so they know what the heck's going on so they can read the play and they can read the body cues. But then the other two two things is change in speed and change in direction. When we talk about change in speed, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory, the stops and the starts and, and uh, speeding up, slowing down, all that kind of stuff. That causes, again, it goes back to the initiating. It causes the defender to have to change speeds after you do, and then you can manipulate them. But the other thing is the change of direction and what you were talking about threatening the middle, get off the wall, get off the wall, get to the middle of the ice, force the defender to have to cross over, manipulate that person's feet. It, it all goes back to all the things that we're talking about. Change of speed, change of direction, manipulate their feet, manipulate their body, like use deception to be able to do those kinds of things. And uh, there's, and that's why like teaching that stuff is so important. But on top of that, what you're talking about too, is like, actually you, you can teach it all you want, but if you don't do it in practice, you're not going to be able to, to get better at it. So find ways in practice. I agree with you. The more you can play like one-on-one keep away, two-on-one keep away, one-on-two keep away to be able to do those things, then you can actually learn it yourself too by getting that, just that, that repetition of seeing the body cues, seeing what the other person is doing, seeing how what you're doing and in initiating affects what that defender is going to do. That, that's a whole different piece of it as well. Absolutely. You're working on, I think it's a sales pitch, so to speak. Now that I'm a little bit older, I think that terminology comes to mind is it's like a sale. You're selling, you're you gotta be a salesman when you got the puck, you gotta sell, you gotta make this defenseman bite. You gotta make them buy. Otherwise you don't have to move. And I use that a lot in the shootout. It's like, I gotta sell this guy on something, right? Cause when you're coming on a shootout, same thing. If I told if you come down a straight line, same speed goalie comes out to like, when you're at the, when you pick up the puck at the red line, the goal is usually out about the hash marks and then he backs up with timing on you. And if you don't make him bite on anything, you just skate into, you just skate into him, you know? So you got to make him sell. And there's like these jukes, you know, I find shootouts, the sales pitch thing is huge. I think you, you, it's so hard on these goalies. Now they're so quick and fast to come down and score and just skate straight down and shoot. There's some guys that can do it. Don't get me wrong. But I think if in the majority it's, it's like about knowing the angles change of speed and selling at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I see a lot of these stick handling stuff in these classes. If I could add one thing to it, it's like, I would say, imagine you're working your salesmanship right now. There's a defenseman right here and you're literally, maybe there's nothing there to mimic that, but like having your imagination that there's a defenseman trying to poke this off of you, what would you do? 
Like, would you literally stand there feet shoulder width apart and have this puck in front of you and chop it like this and go really fast and go doo -doo 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 -doo. or would you have this thing like on the side of your hip and be like protect it and be like shimmying and like selling this guy so you can get past him a lot of stuff is like practice with a purpose you know it's okay to go i'm not saying like i'm not faulting people for doing that but i think if you want to take it to a level where now it transitions over to the game for me it was always imagining like that even if i had an empty net i'd come in i'm like juking or shimmy shaking and it's on an empty net. I don't care. But it's like sh working on my shimmies, like a like a um, running back does. You know how they shimmy and sell and plant and move. Because the other thing about shimmies and about salesmanship is footwork. It's not just about hands. Your hands have to match up with what your feet are doing. Otherwise, you wind up in tra rain. Uh, tra what do you call it? train tracks? And you're not going anywhere. Like your feet have to move too. So your hands and feet. The hands, feet, poetry, emotion. You know. That's what my Blair White used to say all the time. But it's true. Your hands and your feet got to match. It's like when you're making this move, what's at the end of it? And your feet kind of take you to that. So that's where it all ties in together. To, when you understand the net, you're making moves with a plan. And, and if you understand the faces of how to change it and the looks of it, the moves that you're doing are not just to come down and shimmy, 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 and, and it's all going to work. It's like you're, you're trying to sell this way to get to that exposed net. That's for me offensively. Shrimpy, I think you might have just broken a record of how many times shimmy was uh, was said in uh, in a thirty second span. I love it. <laughs> I use it, and they come like a like a Mexi like a Mexican mambo, you know. <laughs> it's it's like you got to sell, man. Shimmy as much as you got until you get out of there. Oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like you using the word uh, salesman too and like try and, and, and just thinking, I like what you said there too a lot, but for the kids listening or the parents listening to help their kid, son, daughter, stick handle in the garage, driveway, basement, like not just stick handle, stick handle, pretending someone's poke checking you, like pretend you're, you've got to pull it from the hip and push it away and like, and do those things. And when you were saying that, I was thinking about that commercial with that old guy who's got the dollar on the end of the, uh, the fishing rod and he's like baiting the guy to get it. And he's yeah, like, oh, you thought you were going to get it. And he pulls it away. Like kind of when you're practicing stick handling, be that yeah. old guy, like yeah. show the puck, but knowing you're going to pull it away. So you're yeah. making that guy reach for it. Now he's off balance. Now you go around him. Like think of that guy. Like, Oh, you were going to be a quick one. You know, <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so true. It's so true though. Yeah. It's so true, man. Dangle it out there for him. Yeah. Give him a little carrot and then you take yeah. it away. I love it. <laughs> well, Shrempy, with, with all this hockey talk and stuff that we're talking about here, you know, you're a forward thinking kind of person in terms of the way that you see the game. Where do you see the game headed, you know, in the next three, four, five years? What are some things that you think you're going to see that we can maybe teach and start to implement with our teams and with our players? Um, that will be important as we kind of go through the future. Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, I think the game is it's we're already hitting on it very, very much. So with the, with the fact of analytics and very much data driven and understanding the data points and what's effective and systems are crafted around that. I think the game has evolved. The game's changed a lot. Like it's changed a lot faster, a lot smaller guys, quicker, uh, Guys are processing much faster. I think the systems are going to follow soon. And I think it's going to be more wrapped around that. And that's just my opinion. That's how I see it. I think the systems need to come up a little bit 
and meet that that level that the player has evolved to. And you see different stuff. Um, that's my opinion. I think it's, something's going to change in that aspect because it's like I said, it's something that doesn't change is the nets and the boards. There's there's always they're there. They're not moving. The dynamics don't change. Players have gotten way faster. So windows of opportunity have changed of where they are in the sense of how to access those. You have to start wrapping the systems around that. And that's what I think about it. I, I think I see a lot of this, the same, same. Uh, I think there's just going to be some more forward evolved, uh, forward looking coaches that are going to help, you know, change the game in some aspect. So what are some, what are some systems? Like if you can give us an example of your thing of something that you think is going to change from a systematic point of view. Systematic. Um, and what, like the structure, what you're talking like, well, you're, you're saying like, you think that the, the systems are going to change, like they're going to adapt to the, the modern player nowadays. So what do you mean by that? And what do you think can change where systems can adapt to the modern player and how they play? Like no puck control. So you think, you think in puck control, you're thinking more puck possession. It's, it's more, I don't know. I think it, the game, maybe it's not changed. Maybe it's even go maybe it's backwards, but it's puck possession and striking on the, on the striking with speed at the right through holes and through pockets with puck protection or puck control. Sorry. Uh, I think it's a little bit of give the puck away. In my opinion, from what I see, it's, it's the, the players have evolved. The speeds changed. The, the skill levels changed from your, I mean, from every aspect, like your, your bottom two defensemen are, unbelievable puck moving and their feet are good in the NHL now. Like there's so much skill and talent. It used to be in my opinion, you would have like two or three defensemen that you could almost pick on as a forward. You'd be like, I got this guy. He can't pivot. Everybody can skate now. <laughs> Everybody can wheel. Everyone's got hands. You're like, Whoa, you know, there's no more of these faulty points. I think it's the game's come a long way and, and you know, technology's part of it as far as the equipment. And also guys are working. Like you see these, there's so much access to, to these videos online where you take that next, I mean, I don't know, maybe if, if I'm in my own world, but if you guys feel the same way, like the bottom six, the bottom two defensemen and the bottom six forwards on the show are pretty good hockey players when you see them chucking around the ice in summertime. You know, and I, I don't know how I'm not a coach. I haven't I can't claim that I have super experience, but like maximizing that seems to be just around the corner. Interesting. So you think it's you think it's gonna be a little bit less of like get the puck, stretch the zone, tip it in, go four check type hockey, more along the lines of let's try and keep possession as much as we can coming through the neutral zone, make plays, you know, that is, is that kind of what you're thinking? Just with, think the, with the amount of skill, the, you know, with the skill going up and up and up. Yeah, that's, that's my opinion. I think that's the way I, I could see it going. Um, I think there's a time to stretch it and there's a time to control it and, and pick with possession. You can pick off better scenarios. You can pick off more deadly scenarios. In my opinion, it's, it's just waiting for the crack because everybody can skate so well. It's just, it's a matter of, it's a chess game, you know, and it's about keeping the puck longer and what you get at the end of it. Um, instead of whipping it in, because it, I think the, the stretch it out, get it in, grind them down game is, is effective for sure. When you got big bodied guys, we played that game in Wilkes-Barre and we had a, a really big hockey team and it was very effective. <laughs> like, cause it was the guys coming crashing, banging. But I think on the flip side, if you don't have that, 
if what is on the roster doesn't fit in the categories of height and weight and being effective in that sense of the game, then that system doesn't fit. Does that make sense? Sure. That might be a theory, but it's also evolving with what's on the roster. So seeing that on some places it works, some places it doesn't. I don't want to, I mean, I can't dive too direct into it, but like I, I watch the game, I see it. It's, it's, there's the talents there, the skills there, the progression is there's a, the, is that the right word? Progression of the player or the players are evolving into these. I don't want to, I don't want to say they're highly skilled, highly trained athletes. I think I could see the systems following next with analytics. You're going to have data points. It's not an eye test. It's not a opinion piece. It's going to be a fact piece. Does that make sense? Do you think, uh, cause like some people have talked about this and Toph and I have asked maybe a couple people about this. Do you think anyone will ever go to like positionless hockey? Like obviously on a face off, you'd start wherever you would start, but like five guys just reading and reacting. Like, do you think it will ever get to that? I think if one team did that, and they were really good at it, which would probably be hard to get good at, it might kill just guys just rotating, diving in and out, like offensive zone, everybody's moving. They're not really like in a set position. They're just going like this. And then in the D zone, just kind of talking, reading, reacting. Like, I don't know. I think if somebody could perfect that, it would be very hard to play against because it's so different than what's going on right now. We tried that actually in Red Bull. We tried that in, in Salzburg. It, it was uh... – it was, it's a lot of communication. You're leaving it on. I mean, you got to have safety valves on everything, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of, you got to have safety valves. And when you leave it on communication, then you better spend a lot of time on communication, right? right, right. You better make sure that valve is like <laughs> airtight and it better make sure it's, it's this type of material that'll never break. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, so hard to play against, but like, and, and my team in that league, like we were obviously the budget and everything, like the t- quality of players, they weren't even close. But like some games would be close. Some games you guys would blow us out and everyone else. Some games, like because of that, yeah, I could. I remember like you'd give up four breakaways. Yeah. Because like maybe, you know, the D-man jumped in and nobody filled in for kind of rotating and stuff. So I definitely know what you're saying there. It's just, yeah, you got to try. Like, it's a big thing. on The system is so much on trust and communication the guys, you, the, the D man really, it falls on them when they pinch, they have to know they, you have to vote, you have to, you know, verbalize it and say, Hey, Vex, I'm coming in, get back, you know, and that, yeah. okay. You feel something, go ahead. Uh, but when you leave it on, <laughs> the guy just mums the word and just sneaking back door. And just like, next thing you know, it's like <laughs> four and one. You're like, Oh man, probably wasn't a good time to pinch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you though. I I don't think in that way that like that's that's a little bit. I don't know bit. if it's possible, but I wonder. And I'm talking even less like quote unquote team structure than than what you had. Like like D men might not even. There's no D men anymore. Like it's just you got 18 full players, and it's like wherever you're on the ice, like that's you. Obviously, it would take a long time to evolve to that. But yeah. I wonder with everyone being so good at everything now. If that's something that could ever happen in the future. Well, Vex, I'm going to, I'm going to toy with a lot of that stuff this year with my team that I'll be coaching. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, again, it goes back to what you define as positionless hockey. You know, there's gotta be parameters and there's gotta be certain things that you, you focus on, but you know, in terms of like maybe even coming back into the D zone, it's, 
one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. First, first two guys, you know, hard on the puck. Third guy to the net. Other four and five are the quote unquote wingers type stuff. Yeah. And if you can learn how to play, like even if you're a winger in midgets, you might not be a winger in midget in the next level. So you're going to have to learn how to play down low defense. You know, you might be a, a defenseman in midgets, and then you're going to be asked to play forwards in juniors because they have six defensemen that are better than you and you're going to have to stay in the lineup. So you're going to have to learn different things, you know? Um, if when you're talking about offensive zone play and, and all the movement that I think is so important in the offensive zone as a forward, you're going to spend time up at, at the point. So being able to walk the line or, or attack a, a seam coming through from the blue line down. I mean, those are all things that I think are really important and uh, being able to teach those things. And, and, and again, make the kids more versatile in their skill sets from teaching that positionless, you know, again, it goes back to, it's not like five guys go out there and do your thing. Like there's gotta be some standards that you put out there. Um, but stay tuned. <laughs> uh, the thing, See how it goes. You teach them that you teach them the net and the D zone too, right? It's, it's no different, right? Like the thing I'm talking about, the, 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 the threat of the net and the O zone is same thing in the D zone. So if, to your point of when you're coming back, you all know, <laughs> what the pain point is in the O zone, right? Or in the D zone now, you know what the threat is. So if you're a defenseman, like you should understand, not to say they're going to now be the best winger, but you should understand how to defend. It's not, there's no, the thing is defending is you just got to flip it around on the skill side, on the offensive side, you got to like make a play that dupes everybody on the D zone, right? Not everybody, but get it through a stick get it through a triangle, get it on the tape, time it right. On the D side, you just got to get a stick on it, get a boot on it, and stop the play. So knowing, like, how to keep them out of the deadly areas, like, you can come back, like you're saying, like, one, two, three, four, five. It's like, hey, like, you don't have to come back and be the defenseman. Like, just chill out for a minute. Let's structure this thing where let's just make sure we take care of the threat first, and then we'll organize. Right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, and the, I think the that's D's good okay. enough. The D can skate it well enough where if, if they have to play forward for a minute or get it in deep, get it out, get it deep, <laughs> you know, they can handle that for the 10 seconds that it takes. I think it's a fair – I think it's it's worth a try, I hope. I honestly I think it's it helps them ex- break barriers of I am a defenseman or I am a winger. It's like, no, you're just a hockey player, man. Just just think. Well, think the one- they were doing that from their eight, like – by the time they're 14, 15, when now they're really thinking the game, like they're not a defenseman. They're a hockey player all the time. So like they wouldn't even need to chip it in. They wouldn't be uncomfortable because they've just been playing the game for the last six years. I don't know. Is this where I think it could go? Maybe. The, the one thing that I really want to toy around with when it comes to positionless hockey is coming up through the neutral zone. Um, specifically, I wish I had a whiteboard and we were doing this like, on do it on the window. Hey, <laughs> yeah, but the people listening can't see it, so I <laughs> do can't it do that. <laughs> um, by the way, it is smoking hot in my car right now. I am sweating absolute bullets. But anyways, uh, my kids are sleeping, so my wife's happy, so it's all good. We didn't wake them up. Um, but the way that I want to toy with it is is in the neutral zone. So, like, let's say yeah, a puck gets chipped into the neutral zone and the D gets it, but you know, it takes some time to, to get it and corral it so the other team gets up and they set up in their defensive structure. Let's call it a 1-2-2, 1-3-1, whatever it may be. I think a great way to, to almost – 
to, to beat that is having your defenseman being able to skate the puck up. So it's not because if they're in their defensive structure, the wingers in the center are typically going to be, there's going to be somebody tight and above to them. Right. So they're not, so what do you do? You move the wingers or you move the center. So they're not just stationary. And then you get the D with the puck skating up ice, but let's say they get to the the red line and now they get closed off. So they got to chip in. And now rather than having somebody else, the D knows where he's chipping it into, he's going to go forecheck that puck now. And then now he's going to be an F one instead of being the D on the forecheck, or maybe he gets to that puck first because he chipped it into a space um, and he can go get it first. And now there's got to be a forward that has to be, you know, back to cover for them. I think that's what I want to toy around with and, and kind of like, really expose our, our defensemen to get the puck and get their feet moving up ice. And when they get that speed, because the best four checker is the one with speed, right? And yeah. so if you have a defenseman that's already coming up with speed, why pass it to a winger that's standing still to chip it in and then another four and go get it? You, you know, stay. like why, why not have the D just go and get it? They already have speed, but that's kind of against conventional wisdom. You don't want the D below the goal line. So I'm going to toy around with that this year. I've been thinking about different ways to do it. Um, it's just a kind of another little thing to talk about. Um, or even, or even, you know, there's some teams you even see it at the higher levels where that D will start skating up ice. And then that winger, rather than standing skilled, that winger will come back, you know, behind the D and that D will drop the puck to that forward who then will take the puck coming through. Like there's so many different ways that I want to play with it. And you see it a lot, of, a lot on the power play, but I wonder if it can be executed uh, five on five too. So I don't know if I'm making any sense to you guys here, but there's just a lot of stuff that I'm going to play around with. I don't know. Why not? I mean, it depends on uh, kids that are w- open to it. And if you're explaining what you want out of it, why, I mean, what, what's at the end of it. Right. So that's the always thing. If I think if I'm playing, going back to like peewee or whatever, it's like, what's at the end of it, coach, you know what I mean? Show me what you want, like, you know? And then if you're getting success off it, then, but if, you know, if it's something that close, you know, find, if you wind up finding at the end of it, the biggest success is like actually not that big. Then, you know, as a coach, you get like, yeah, I tried. Well, you know it, goes what I mean? back, it goes back to it, right? Like if you get like, if, if I'm coaching a midget team next year, it's very easy to teach a kid to go post up and tip the puck in and go get it. Like that's easy. It's a lot harder, but it can be effective in certain ways. I mean, teams do it, whatever. Um, you know, but if you could teach kids to be creative through the neutral zone to try and make plays and maybe think a little bit differently, that that is a lot harder to teach. But we should still teach it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's it's easy to teach a system. It's easy to teach. You know, uh, get the puck up through the neutral zone, tip it in, and go get it. Let's teach the kids maybe a little bit more outside the box to to make some plays. Well, I think that goes exactly into what Shrempy was saying in the beginning. Once you open their eyes to like these different things you can do on the ice, it's not like you're only allowed to do five things. You can do whatever you want if it works and like you get better at it. So like you just having them think, oh, I'm going to toss it back to the D-man, like the annexation of Puerto Rico from Little Giants as he's coming through. (laughs) Like then the kid's going to be like, oh, wait, I could do that. Well, maybe in this situation, I don't need to do what everyone else is doing. Maybe I can try this. And it's just now you just started that spark. You started that curiosity. And now they're going to look at the game in such a different way. And I think that is invaluable instead of just turning them into a robot because that's easy. You can turn anyone into a robot as you go off. That is so easy. And if you do it too young, you can't reverse it. At least I don't think. Or it's very hard. 
then you got to get to the point of showing them how to be like you got to have those you got to come to those solutions on your own at a young age to gain confidence because everything goes by confidence like you got to have the confidence to man when you go from tears whatever p i went from squirt to ban a major took my confidence level to be super high and like that's you know like i circle back when i was growing up and stuff if i could go back it would be just a lot more modesty and like just not having to exude that confidence all over the place but like the confidence of i got to the i solved those problems with knowing these things and having the confidence to execute it you know and it's just that's the thing for me i was never going to let anybody take me off my confidence level because i knew i needed to ride that because once you get in a, <laughs> once you lose your confidence you just what you don't press you? those barriers you don't challenge the d you don't challenge the goal you're just like oh I'll just get it on that you know the confidence level it's of having those solutions and having solved the problems and you solve the problem at the next level and you solve the problem at the next level. Like that's, that's what builds the steps to getting to the next, you know, the next place where you want to be. And I think like to Jeff's point, it's like, you got to be careful of having simple, 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 simple. And then all of a sudden, Oh, I don't know what to do. You know, I think it's <laughs> cause then you get to a certain level, there is no reversing it. It's like, you ain't got, you don't have time. Like there's 20 other guys. This is a high level. <laughs> you don't. Have, you can't figure it out. It's it's what happens, unfortunately. So you, I just want to be careful walking them down the wrong street, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I mean that's my only concern. What, what do you think? You said there, like you went up the level and you kept your confidence. Like something that I mean, you obviously we all know confidence is 99% of hockey. Like if you got it, like whatever you're doing, you're buzzing. And if you lose it, whatever you're doing, you're sucking. Uh, so <laughs> like, how did you keep yours? You had a swagger on the ice. Like you just were confident. You exuded it. How did you get, how did you get that? How did you keep it starting at a young age? I did. I really practiced. I, I worked so much on my game. You know, I worked, I was relentless. Like I loved hockey. I was, a, I was at the rink all the time. I, I always had, I was like constantly honing my craft. And then it was like the more challengers came on. It was like, like it just, I had it dialed in, you know, I just, I had the feel for the puck. I knew the offensive zone. I knew how to execute. And when the time was, when there's pressure on the line, I, I, I wasn't uncomfortable because <laughs> it's still the same data points. I, I got to know these zones. I know what to do. He might get a little tougher on me, but I'll, I know exactly how to expose them kind of thing. If it's me versus the D uh, or me against the goalie, I just knowing that I could execute, I think so really helped me stand work. strong in my position. Yeah. You can't feel like this might not work like that. You start with that. What is the expression? If you, whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. I mean, that's, it's very true coming into these scenarios, like whatever way you see it in that sense, you're right. You think you can, you can, and I don't, you know, it's not, it's not to say it's that basic. You still got to put work in, but if you put the work in, you don't, you really believe that you can, You'll find a way. Like I said, you stare at the fingers. What's how many fingers? It's eight. You see past the problem. You find solutions. When you have confidence, you you find a solution. When you have a slump or a rut, you only see four fingers. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That is one of the best quotes we've had on this podcast. That's unbelievable. It's going to my gym. It's going to my. Gym. <laughs> have you never heard that before? I've never heard that before. I absolutely love that. That's awesome. 
It stuck with me. It really sticks with me a lot. I mean, I read it and it felt, it was like, wow, the simplicity of it and the fact, matter of fact of it, it is so true. Like, like, put it out there. Put it out there. Whatever you get, whatever. (laughs) Oh, that's funny, man. Well, well, Shrempy, I wanted to ask you too. I know we've been on here for quite a bit and I'm legit sweating buckets. Like I'm, I'm my sweating right now is a typical Jeff Lavecchio day in, <laughs> in my car in the, in the 80 degrees type stuff. But, um, you know, there's a lot of really good hockey talk right now, but I want to get to you. And this is something that we wanted to talk about before getting on here. And that was kind of like the, the transition to, to outside of hockey and like, you're starting a business right now. You're starting 44 vision hockey. I'm interested to know and and interested to hear your experience with it and how the things that you learned in the hockey world has translated and helped you to build this thing from the ground up. Cause I'm an entrepreneur as well, starting the hockey think tank. And I know how much kind of goes into it. What do you feel like has really some of the skills that have translated from your hockey career into, into business now? Um, you know, the, off the bat, it's about teamwork. Uh, it's about sharing and and being to grow a business. I think transparency and honesty is, is really important with trust and building something with, with people and with a partner, Dave Cochran is in this with me. He's amazing. Great guy. Great help for me. Great teammate, mentor, um, the stuff that translates from hockey is uh, like teamwork is so important. Being able to be confident in your lane and also own up to your shit when you make a mistake and not be like, Oh, I got to blame it on him. I got to blame it on him. It's like, no, man, that's my bad. Like owning it, addressing it, growing past it. It's not, I'm done in the water because I just screwed up. It's I'm sorry that I screwed up. I try not to do it again. I'm sorry that I screwed. And then, Go forward. I think that's important to have success. And, and, you know, there's two things you can do when you watch the film and you see a mistake. It's that it's either that you can either own it and get better or you can watch it and blame. Like I said, it's almost my life to a T. It's almost what got me into this business was really realizing, taking a look at the picture, learning from the mistakes and growing instead of looking at it. Be like, Whoa, this, that, look, look. Now we take it to the hockey space and helping players in their scenarios is basically what I'm doing in my life. So it's, it's kind of, you know, really kind of goes glove in hand. Um, the stuff from hockey, being accountable, being able to take one on the chin and come back out and play in the third period, you know, own your shit, own your mistake and grow. Uh, that's probably the biggest step. A humble pie is okay. You know, I've had plenty of it and it, it, it's actually needed to happen. I think in business it happens too. You realize that there's certain spaces that you are not an expert and you're not the know-it-all. It's okay to like for me to grow the business. It's about knowing my blind spots and being okay grabbing the expert in that space and letting them do their shit and not have to tell them what to do. I, I'm not an expert in that space. You run it. I trust you and I think you're going to do great. And if you have a mess up, just be honest, you know? And we work as a team and it just goes like a little bit of a, you know, all the moving parts. It's all built on trust, transparency. And at the end of the day, gratitude is the best feeling of it all. Because when those things are all happening, 
people are getting better all over the place. You just feel good about it. And it's so far, it's been a short ride, but that's what I've gathered from it. And I've, it feels really great to be back in it in a, in a cool space in a cool lane with great partners like Jeff Lavecchio and his, and his, uh, ripped hockey. Like those, it just feels so good to be able to have someone like that in this space and is doing such positive stuff and working his lane so positively, knowing that the kids that come are going to have a great product. I'm going to call on Jeff and be like, hey, man, did you get the pro- did you get your workouts? Did you get the programs? Blah, blah, blah. No, it's like Jeff's going to take care of his lane. I trust him. You know, the other partners with the other things, all the things we partnered up with, they're, it's teamwork. It's no different. If I'm on a team, I'm on a line like Tolf telling you what to do all the time. You're going to wind up hating me. No, like coming back to the bench and, and giving you shit or telling you what to do. That's not a, you got your own game to play. It's no different in business. You think you formed your business in the way that you did. And it like, it's really cool to the, the culture and the dynamic that, that Rob and Dave Cochran have created. It's a very team uh, atmosphere and culture. Shrampy, do you think that you created it that way because you miss the team atmosphere? You miss the locker room. You miss the practices with the boys. Yeah, definitely. Definitely enjoy hockey's in my blood. It's, it's and those are the people I want to be around. And I know it's, like I said, you get blinded by some of the bad and maybe the parts you are recent in your mind and you forget about how great of people there are in this game. I mean, there's so many great people. It's just, they're fun. Hockey people are the funnest people to be around. And for the majority are, are great people. And I do miss that. And I do, you know, in this lane specifically wanting to have an impact and have a growth and open doors for other people. I, you know, used to be a goal scorer and then I turned into a disher really through the latter parts of my career. I really enjoy passing so for me in business, it's, it's literally, it's not business. It's me just passing, opening doors or helping out and helping someone else and, and supporting whatever I can. It's, it's more, like I said, chasing gratitude and passing the puck. I don't mind. I don't care if I'm the second apple. I help the team or dishing off is like what I get gratitude from. So even on this side of it, being able to build this thing and open doors for the, you know, for the women and help support them and, and, and do whatever I can for that space gives me, it makes me really happy. I don't know what's going to come out of it. I don't have an expectation of anything back. It's literally do it for, for gratitude. And I hope it, you know, I keep saying the word, but it's, there's no other word for it. It's do it to help with no expectation of, of return. That's a John Woodenism right there. If I've ever heard one, <laughs> he's big on that. It's uh, I forget the exact quote. I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but said that like the greatest thing that you can do is to do something for somebody else without having any expectation that they're going to do something back to you. Like that's the true definition of friendship. And uh, that, I mean, that's something it kind of sounds like you're trying to build is just like a lot of friendship throughout what you're doing in your company. And, and uh, like John Wooden, who is the person that I read, the most and I think is the best coach of all time in any sport like he talks about friendship more than any other coach I've ever read or talked to or anything like that it doesn't you know and I'm not talking about friendship between like a player and a coach like that that's a different relationship but if you can provide friendship between the players and there's that like camaraderie and and things like that same thing almost like a business and you guys can get to that point where you're not just associates 
you actually care about each other and you do things for others without the expectations of anything coming back. That's like, that's a legit, like powerful, powerful, powerful thing. When you have people in your company that are working with you that have that mentality uh, or teammates on a team that have that mentality, like, wow, what a culture that is, eh? Jeez. It's, it's such a great feeling. And I think it's important, you know, that everybody's doing it out of passion, out of love. Like when you love something, you go through the fire for it. You'll, you know, do whatever it takes, you know, to, to succeed, but to fulfill, uh, loving what you're doing is important. Like I said, I think I touched on it earlier, but it's no different than a relationship. If you put, you know, just a quarter of love into it and expect something back, but when you put your full heart, you actually love what you're doing not much stops you. You know, we all love this game and we're passionate about it. And it's just, it bleeds our, in our blood, but uh, having a group of players around to your point with, with the level of success, the level of knowledge, the level of experience and the character behind it. It's so, it's such a positive thing. Like anybody that gets to, it's not a brag piece. It's just honesty. It's like anybody that gets to have that access it's, or have that help. It's, going to help them <laughs> like in some aspect, one way or another, I'm not saying we're going to put you in the show at 13 years old, but like having these moral compasses around you helps you in one way or another, It's one way or another. And that's the most important thing is not all of it's just going to be hockey help. You know, it's, it's also helping people grow. Like I had a lot to learn. It's like, you know, I went through a lot of trials and tribulations, so to speak. And it's a lot to give back and say, don't go down that one way. You know, don't go down that one way. There's a truck coming. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely don't want to go down. Yeah. Or you can run through those mistakes and then just watch people keep doing it like what you did. That's, I don't see any value in that. I think it's gratitude to be like, does something like help? Like, here's what's the right, like the right answer. But the helpful thing is, you know, you see you going down that way, man. Like I've seen that. I've been around long enough. I've seen that route. Like, let's get you going the right way kind of thing mentorship one way or another it's helpful uh doesn't always have to be hockey either we got to first be human beings and then we can be athletes i think that's important first well i think it's really cool what uh you know i always say you and you always correct me when i say you you say we tell when i'm when i'm texting shrimpy about 44 vision and i'm like dude like you you he's like it's not you it's we it's us like it's team it's not me he never wants me to say rob shrimp's 44 vision he's like say our so like it really is like it's real and it's a culture and i think one of the things that made me most interested in being part of of his of our platform is the scholarship piece so shrimpy if you want to talk about that because i think that's something people need to hear i think that's very very cool of of what 44 vision is doing yeah thanks so we you know, we, I thought of uh, how to get back and how to keep this company with a moral compass and staying straight. And I, I wanted to have a chance to open doors for other players. So, you know, when there's a partnership, you know, like with Defiance Fuel, with like with Jeff, with Gel Sticks, these sort of things that, you know, in a business that kicks up commission. And I didn't want to be making decisions. I wanted to make decisions out of how to help the next person the best. I don't want to ever have a chance or have it be a problem of we're making decisions on business and what would kick back to the company. So to keep that in mind, any business that we partner with, any any business that goes through that partnership goes back into the scholarship fund. And that scholarship fund is then kind of distributed out through the hockey communities and coaches will have the ability to 
um, submit who they feel would benefit from a platform or, you know, can't maybe can't afford it. And you could use that opportunity. So building that out through the, you know, through Jeff's program, anybody that gets a program from Jeff, he donates 15% of whatever comes through that. And that's, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing on all ends for Jeff to give back to it. And also for us to keep this, we're, we're partnering with this, not for a business because we believe in Jeff. We're partnering with Mind Body Fusion because we believe in Mind Body Fusion. We are partnering with Defiance Fuel because we believe in the product. Gel sticks, we believe in the product. It's not about business. It's not about stuffing our pockets. It's about having that great add-on and then giving back because they're on our platform. You know what I mean? It opens up doors to new people to have access to Jeff, have access to the partnerships and grow as a player. So it just, for me, it was... That's how I thought it would be great for the business to keep it in the sense of as we, as we grow, as as keeping it honest and as straight and giving back as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Really almost. You don't want to make decisions because the greed is a bad emotion. It's a terrible smelling cologne. And you want to keep that right away from stuff because greed can ruin a lot of people and it can ruin a lot of things. So keeping it so it's not even a part of the it's not even part of the picture because it's not coming back to us. <laughs> it's coming back to the youth. So I'm gonna keep buying, guys. Like this is great. More kids get to come and it gets more people get access to this great group of people that we put together. And I think I'm I'm proud of that part of it in the sense of having brought together a team aspect. And it's not when it when people get to the platform, there's there's a lot to add. There's such a act, I don't want to say access, but like having this knowledge and experience coming back into the game, I feel good about what it's gonna do for the growth. In all aspects, as I just mentioned, was not just about hockey. It's like, as human beings, like Blake Bolden's on our platform. She wants to you know, help with mentorships and help girls become confident and become mentally resilient and tough and, and what it takes to be a division one athlete. Like tons of like value in, in the way of knowledge and experience. It's so cool. And I really built it in the sense of, of, in the sense when I started the company with Dave and we were growing the team and we were growing the, it just kept being like, okay, who, who can add to the youth? Like if I see this person coaching the kid, do they have value? It's not about adding up all the games and seeing how cool we can make it. It was always value add to the players coming to the platform. They all have value 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 and like really smart people and good careers division one athletes well structured and can articulate what they did that's important because if you ask me Serbia, how do you do that and i'm like oh, i don't know i just do it i go there and i do it <laughs> that's not a value to the next person right like that's not teaching and handing it on i have to be like well the stick was here you know what i mean like you know it's like tof teaching jeff you know it's like you have to like you know even in the gym it's like your grip's different. Your grip's got to go here, and this is where you get more strength. You got to get the details. Now, like, grab the dumbbells and just put them over your head. It's like <laughs> you got to have the detail. So they all, all the coaches have that act, you know, have that ability to pass on what they what they've achieved, and I, and that's not just in a story. That's in in data, in teaching, and improving the players. So I'm really proud to be a part of it, and it could be really you know really cool. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to be back in the game, boys. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I don't know what time it is over there in Latvia, but 
it's, uh, it's, it was great to get you back on here to talk about what you're doing and, uh, certainly a much different conversation this time around than the first time around. Although I do have to say the first time around was the one that really boosted our podcast. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Rocker, um, rocket booster juice. Of, uh, <laughs> I think is, it was awesome to come on. And I think it was, you know, there was a lot of raw emotion to it and, and raw, but like, you know, I think every scenario, I think you just have a chance to learn from, and that's no different. And, uh, understanding that time does give you the chance to evaluate and evolve. And I think, you know, I, I've probably even been a critic in that sense of, of emotionally pegging somebody with a title or, you know, uh, not giving them a chance, so to speak. I, now I'm that guy, you know, I really kind of had this weird persona perception that I was giving off perceptions, reality, but the thing is, what I'm trying to say is that people grow, <laughs> you do see your mistakes. And if you can grow from them, that's important. I mean, it's, it's one thing if, you know, you circle back in two years from 2018 and I'm still like this angry, mad guy, understand what I was going through. I understand what I could have done better. And growth is what's important of all scenarios. I mean, really, when you make mistakes, it's owning them and stepping forward and growing. Don't blame. Everybody has a piece in it including yourself mistakes can happen but grow from them life is growth man that's what it's all about growing and getting better and all that kind of stuff another two years from now we might be us will be probably gray a little bit boys are boys are getting old eh? i already got got two year year (laughs) podcast check-in there you go there you go well shrimpy best of luck with uh, your future endeavors for sure uh we'll be in touch definitely and uh appreciate you again for coming on man thanks for having me guys appreciate it. it's good talking to you again and uh vex thanks a lot appreciate you buddy appreciate your partnership and and uh you know the partnership i'm really excited about the growth but i'm excited to have you on get together we'll be in st louis chucking it around get the boys going um, I hope you guys all the best and good luck with the pot. It looks awesome, man. I always say keep the track of you guys and the guests that keep coming on or more and more knowledge is going back in the game. And I think it's, it's super, super cool. And I think you guys should be very proud of what you've achieved. And uh, I'm excited to be the second time on here. I think it's, it's you've given me a chance to give a benchmark on my growth personally. It, it's been pretty cool actually to, to see what, how far I've come from two years and what you guys are doing. You guys are starting to have benchmarks. That's how big you're getting. And, how long you've been in the game so congrats to that and the success and if i can help in any way uh let me know you bet.